0: Thank you for listening to Let the Right Films In, a movie podcast. I am your host, Kayla Sainanj. Joining me, as always, is my co host, Tyler Hannon.
1: Hello from my bunker.
0: Yes, this is your, uh, your first episode of the month of May. It is our recently watched episode, which if you are just joining us for the first time since we started doing this literally one month ago, we are now splitting these episodes into two so that we have kind of the more casual um, recently watched section where we can talk about movies we've watched recently that don't really fit in with the theme of what we're doing this year, which is our Criterion Collection main series. And also just talking about, I don't know, whatever, just like hanging out conversation maybe some stuff that's not movies we talked about animal crossing last month which was fun so i guess without further ado though let's get into the stuff that matters tyler what have you watched recently
1: so uh i've watched a lot of survivor to be honest uh i watched a truly disgusting amount of the cbs reality television show survivor
0: uh, I can't um, say anything because I have also rewatched like two seasons of Parks and Rec, which is my ultimate always doing
1: that thing. So, Kayla, Kayla, I watched uh, five seasons in six days and the seasons are not short.
0: Oh, Tyler, <laughs> you can just text me <laughs> if you're bored. I forgot that. About texting? I... No, no. <laughs> <laughs> the quarantine has been so rough on you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry i uh
1: i forgot that i love the television show survivor uh i used to watch like i watched a few seasons with like my family like a decade ago and then i just stumbled into it again and then i I don't know i watched five seasons i looked up a guide for like you know the most necessary seasons to watch so i start i'm like started with season one and you know i'm skipping around and working my way up to the new season (laughs) forty.
0: Um, Okay. So two two things that I have to interject down here. One, I believe that friend of the show, Charlie, is also a huge fan of Survivor. So I'm pretty sure. I feel like I remember this coming up with him on Twitter once or twice. So you should ask him about it because I believe we had a brief conversation about it. Second thing, one of our former coworkers at our job was on Survivor. So I think you need to figure out which season that is because apparently he boofed it really bad, which would be in character for what I know of this person and hilarious. So I will privately send you the name, but I think you already know.
1: He was on two seasons of Survivor. He was on two? Oh Which means that on the first season, he was there long enough and made enough of an impression that they brought him back for another well, season.
0: The, oh, no, it was Charlie. This, okay, so this is what Charlie and I talked about because I wanted to ask him if he knew about this. And so this is what happened was that the person that we know who was on Survivor was really nice and gave his immunity to somebody else and then was immediately voted off by everybody else because he assumed that because he had done the nice thing that he wouldn't get voted off. So yeah, I guess if anybody is like an, also an avid Survivor fan, you'll be able to maybe figure out who that is. But oh,
1: that's incredible.
0: Out of respect for this person's privacy, I will give no more details. But yes, Tyler, I mean <laughs> please watch this, and I want to know everything about it.
1: If it makes them feel better, on uh, season 15 of Survivor, the one that took place in... Well, you know what? That, I'm worried about spoiling... An old episode. <laughs> Someone got voted off with two immunity idols in their pocket. They didn't play them because they thought they were safe, so they went home with two immunity idols. They had like a Can't you just use it hand. if you
0: wait, if you get You have
1: to play it before the vote.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Like so the host Jeff Probst is the police are coming for me. They heard about how much time I spent on Survivor. <laughs> um, but so you have to play the maybe it's changed, but at the time of the season you had to play it. And if you didn't, then even if you got voted for, like, you just went home. So he went home. Went home. They His own tribe blindsided him because they're like, he has these immunity idols and also he's the best physically. So, like, if we don't take him out now, he's going to crush us and sail to the finals.
0: Can you give, like, if you get voted off, can you pass the immunity oh. idols to somewhere or they just
1: disappear? They're gone. They're
0: just gone. Wow.
1: Gone. Yeah. That's rough. So, it was pretty great.
0: Isn't it weird how Survivor used to be, like, such a cultural thing. Like even I, it's so, like, I'm obviously not like into Survivor, but I definitely remember that like my mom and my aunt would have like Survivor viewing time at my house when I was a kid. And so like, there's definitely a season of Survivor somewhere between like the late 90s and early 2000s that I've seen like most of. Cause I would, of course, even though I didn't like it and had no idea what was going on and thought it was kind of dumb, would constantly beg to be allowed to be in the room and eat the popcorn and watch the Survivor. So of, course. of it was that in fear factor.
1: Well, it's just the right combination of like, there's like a sports element to it because mm-hmm. it is a competition and it involves like physical and mental challenges and stuff. And it always takes place in some kind of like, not always exotic, but like, you know, non-US locations. So there's like a certain amount of like, you know, tourist viewing and some on like sometimes they do a really good job of weaving in like the tradition of the air well really good relative term but like for a trash american like me who has like has had like a vague interest in like history and stuff like it it hits that little bit so like it was a trivia bit and then also Mm -hmm. i mean i love some drama and so
0: (laughs) did you ever watch legends of the hidden temple when you were a kid yeah okay
1: That was probably like a primer for me. I
0: think, yeah, because I was really into Legends of the Hidden Temple. Ben, stop. (laughs) I didn't actually
1: mean for my segment to be about Survivor, but
0: I'm I'm feeling. We're just going to roll with it, honestly. We can have multiple. There are no rules. It's the recently watched episode, so it's whatever. Uh, For the viewer at home, I said Ben, stop, because we are on Zoom recording with video, so that we can see each other, and Ben was doing a dance in the background.
1: It was very nice.
0: Ben or Tyler can figure out how to edit this and maybe put it on Instagram. I don't know. Tyler has to do all the editing. I don't know why, except for he's not doing all the editing right now. Landon's doing some of it, which is very nice of him. (laughs) So it's good. Uh, It's a great system. Anyway, uh, Tyler, would you like to continue talking about Survivor or was there another thing that you specifically wanted to talk about?
1: I'll pivot to a movie. Uh, I didn't mean to talk about two movies coming here, but I had to acknowledge the... So many hours spent on Survivor in so little
0: time. Just acknowledge uh, what was done.
1: What was done, exactly. <laughs> okay, so the first movie I want to discuss is Swallow, which is a movie that came out this year. You know, I didn't check. I think it might have had a limited release, but it's available on VOD right now. I rented it uh, using my VOD platform of choice, Voodoo, formerly owned by Walmart, now owned by Fandango? question mark it'll probably be fine. Uh, So Swallow is a movie uh, directed, written and directed by Carlo Mirabella Davis, um, starring Haley Bennett. uh, And she plays Hunter, who is, Hunter is a newly pregnant and newlywed housewife. And she is increasingly compelled to consume, swallow, inedible objects. Uh, and then we, so we follow her as she tries to either hide and or reckon with this compulsion as it becomes more and more of a problem and just see the inciting incidents, both in her regular life and in her past. I really enjoyed it as a weird word, but I enjoyed it as a weird word, but more appropriate than you'd think with that synopsis. I thought it was going to be more love to suffer TM than it was. It's a really interesting movie. It's like it falls under the horror genre in most placings, but it's not super horror-related. But basically, it is we find out that Hunter, she was just like a shop like a young shopkeeper, and we don't get all the details or see anything, but you get the idea that this rich young like really rich young man swept her off her feet and has selected her to basically be his trophy wife and to bear his, you know, beloved child or whatever. She is not taking to this well, this like and she's feeling trapped. She's in this like uh, this rich, expensive home that feels vacuous and empty, as you know many of these rich mansions often do. And feeling complete, increasingly alone. And as the events of the movie unfold, she's lose, like, We see the control that her husband and his family, like they are increasing their control over her as they are as they learn more about like and basically reveal themselves to be terrible empty shells of human beings who do not care about her they care about their grandchild they do not care about the mental illness they don't care about like proper fixing of it they care about just they don't care about properly addressing it they just want it fixed and so it is this but it's a really interesting only like 96 minute movie that deals with These familiar things, and you've really come to. I mean, how can you not feel for Hunter like from the very beginning? But in the end, without spoiling anything, it goes in a direction I didn't really expect. And actually, the movie ends up leaving you feeling warm and full and empathetic, and just for human beings, especially like women in the world. And I think it's just a. I, I went in expecting a harrowing, you know indie film experience and ended up getting much more out of it. And I, I just I, I really like that. And I think with the caveat that there are some some elements that could cause people like a there are some elements that, you know, get it under the horror banner. She eats like she's swallowing Items that are dangerous, like there's a reason that a thumbtack is on the cover, and there's worse than that. Uh, it gets like it's pretty gross, but like those sequences where she swallows them are also really striking and kind of beautiful because you see her, you see an event that causes her great anxiety, as it like illustrates how little control she has over her life, and she just gets this compulsion to devour this one item in this clean house, and then after she swallows it, while you're squeamish, there's just this sense of like peace. And that just comes over her face. It's, it's really fascinating. And the movie is not out to punish her or to punish the viewer. It is, it is a much more cathartic tale and also like the uh it looks really good the cinematography is by caitlin Arismendi who also did the cinematography for cam and the music i love too and that was done by nathan halpern who did uh who's been doing a couple indie movies recently like mining the gap and the rover and there's some oh sorry gushing now but there's some really great camera work and i'm not gonna say framing like i often do but there's like I don't often notice like handheld versus still camera, but there is specifically some switches to handheld to to, you know show the state of mind that I think are really artful. It's it's really it's really good. I really enjoy it.
0: It reminds me, honestly, the the concept of it and the way that the story seems to fall into place of um, in my skin, which is a new French extremity movie directed by Marina Devon, which is about a woman who like has it all, but like compulsively just like starts injuring herself and can't stop because of like that same sense of anxiety and sense of like wanting to be in control of something and wanting to like feel something when she has like everything that she should want and it still amounts to like nothing. So that's really interesting. That would be an interesting double feature. I'm not going to lie. Like, do you want to cut or swallow? (laughs) And yeah, it's,
1: um, I think it's been out uh, available on VOD long enough that I've th- I rented it for like three or $4, I think. And I think it's worth that price, um, but also if money's tight, like, I just think like as soon as a, if, it, if you see it on a streaming service and any of this sounds interesting, I do think it's worth spending some time with. So Kayla, that was uh, my first choice. What is yours?
0: Cool. Had some interesting movies this weekend, or well, my weekend, I guess, because I don't have a weekend on the actual weekend that I decided to watch. The first one I'm going to talk about, just because we're already kind of bringing up New French Extremity, I watched Martyrs, which is the 2008 Pascal Laguerre film that is kind of, I don't know, like the holy grail of sorts of like horror and New French Extremity in particular, I guess. I have a lot of feelings about this. Like I watched the movie and kind of had that same feeling that i had like when we talked about uh climax uh not too long ago of just like wanting to know like everything that went into this movie and uh what the like state of mind was and how the actresses felt about it and all of this stuff but for those of you who don't know martyrs is a film that is you either love it or you hate it it is very gruesome it is loosely well i guess not loosely it's about Two women, one of whom escaped the hands of horrible abusers as a child and made one friend in her time, like convalescing and healing in a Catholic. Orphanage for abused children, basically. The beginning of the movie shows them like bonding and her kind of opening up to her. And we get this glimpse of, you know, the demons that she's dealing with, where she quite literally sees physical manifestation of this ghostly, zombie ish old, older woman trying to attack her and hurt her. And so the movie jumps 15 years into the future. We see a family having a pretty normal breakfast, and the woman, Lucy, breaks into their house and kills all of them with a shotgun. Brutally, (laughs) and calls her friend, Anna, to come help her clean it up, basically. And is like, I've finally done it. I found my abusers. I've killed them. Like, maybe I can finally be free of this. And what ensues from there is this really horrible thing (laughs) where Lucy is not free of her demons. And, you know, we see Anna kind of struggling to believe her that these were the right people because you know you walk into a home and your friend has brutally murdered you know a couple and their two children and you're like dragging bodies in the rain into a hole and your friend is still running around the house being chased by a demon and the movie kind of shifts perspectives like at first we're very much in Lucy's perspective seeing like you know what she sees and seeing this thing chasing her and then we see Anna's perspective which is you know Lucy doing these things to herself and ultimately like slitting her own wrists and slitting her own throat and that's the first like hour ish of the movie and that part like this home invasion like psychological thriller goes by in an instant like I remember being like I had to pause for something or other and I remember being shocked that there were only 30 minutes left in the movie because that part of the movie is obviously not the infamous part of the movie (laughs) what transpires after this is Anna. While trying to, you know, figure out what to do with this mess of like this family's bodies and her friend's body and like you know grieving. Obviously, this is her closest companion, somebody she ostensibly is in love with, and you know wanted to be with, and was trying to help like close the door on this past so that they could have a future together that wasn't always under the shadow of this trauma. And she kind of doubted her and feels maybe responsible for having you know maybe driving her to suicide, or, like with that doubt. And she. Accidentally, like flings aside a tool and breaks a hole in the wall, and discovers uh, what I can only describe as a torture murder basement uh, with a really sad woman who is not in the greatest shape. I'll just leave it at that. If you're like, I, I, one it is thing, a
1: torture murder basement. So
0: yes, I I will say this: everything you've heard about this movie is as advertised. It is extremely difficult to watch. It is extremely visceral and upsetting. But it is a movie where, like, I feel like the violence serves a purpose. And what I felt when this movie was over helped kind of contextualize a lot of the feelings that I think I'm having about the world right now. So the movie is famous for having all of these torture scenes for having at the spoilers at the very end, um, Anna is eventually inducted into this cult in her own way in which they decide to use her to try and, you know um, reach their goal, which is to create a martyr, somebody who witnesses what is on the other side of death. And this cult believes that by torturing And abusing somebody just like the right person with the purest of hearts, they can create a martyr. And so far, they've only managed to create victims, which are people who, um, you know, they suffer, but they do not see. And so Anna is captured and chained up. And the last 30 minutes of this movie are so slow and not in like a boring way and like just like the most excruciatingly long, (laughs) drawn out thing and the ending is that she starts to manifest her own vision but instead of it being you know this demon of guilt and trauma that lucy saw or the bugs under her skin that the other woman saw she hears lucy telling her like you don't have to be afraid you don't have to worry about me anymore like you can just let go you don't have to you know you don't have to bear through all of this and so through that kind of like pure love she is able to ascend to martyrdom, the cult skins her alive, which is really gross, <laughs> and I don't like it. And through this like last thing of pain or this last experience of pain rather, she witnesses what is on the other side. she truly becomes the martyr. and I was transfixed throughout this whole movie. like there is it's one of those movies that you you want to look away, but you can't and it's very violent and very gory, but it's never fetishistic about it. And it's never, I think, inherently misogynistic about it. One of the things that struck me is that the mademoiselle who runs the cult says that young women are most predisposed to martyrdom. And I was thinking about it. And if I was in this cult and I was following that logic, like, of course, young women are most susceptible to martyrdom like the experience of being a woman on this planet is traumatic in and of itself you witness suffering all around you all the time you are helpless to stop the suffering of like your fellows and oftentimes like you suffer and you have to like learn to love and live through that the other thing that really got to me and i think like this film is famous for being extremely nihilistic because the ending is that anna witnesses she tells the Madonna, or the mademoiselle what she has witnessed Mademoiselle calls her entire cult to her to hear like the great proclamation of what is on the other side and then shoots herself before telling anybody and tells them to keep doubting. And uh, the scene in which like Anna has finally transcended and all of these people are gathering at the house. I I was just filled with like so much rage because it's just a bunch of old white people getting out of their cars And it just, to me, I think really hit home and conceptualized a lot of the feelings that I've been having, a lot of the nihilistic feelings that I've been having. Like we're living through this global pandemic. It's scary. We don't know when it's going to end. And everywhere around us, it's like politicians and rich people and people in power are willing to let us suffer so that they can profit and that they can like, in a sense, find out what's on the other side of it once they've sacrificed everything they can to get. Their answer and to get what it is that they want. And it wasn't lost on me that Anna and Lucy are both women of color. Uh, Lucy is played by an actress who is half Chinese. Anna is played by an actress who is half Moroccan. And it just was like, God, it's like a death cult of old white people torturing young women of color so that they can get an answer that they want. And it just made me so angry. And it's just like, we, in a way, like, are the martyrs of now, like we are witnessing what is happening to like our world basically. And the old people around us are willing to basically put the gun in their mouths and tell everybody to keep doubting so that they can, you know, continue to have control and continue to search for whatever it is that they want at our expense. And I don't think that watching this movie at any other point would have... Like been as poignant to me, or if it would have made as much sense to me as it did watching it, like right now in this exact moment that we're living in, so I'm kind of glad that I've held off on it that I've been like intimidated by it all these years because I think that right now I was able to watch it and fully grasp like the meaning that I wanted out of it and the understanding that I wanted to achieve by watching something like so horrible
1: yeah I, there's not <laughs> m- there's not much to add ex- of my own experience, I guess, because it's been. I watched this movie in a small bedroom I was renting on youtube like six or more years ago, something like that and uh I've been scared to go back because it is a really harrowing experience, but also I had an element of the transcendence that like you know drives the that that, that this cult is driving for. I guess there's a part of me where like I don't I like I was worried like I'm like if I go back am I still gonna feel that way about it or am I just gonna feel gross and I I felt that way about other movies this one I felt a little more confident that I would still appreciate but it's still very intimidating to go back to.
0: No, for sure. I don't know if I would ever watch it again. To be perfectly honest, it's available to rent on iTunes right now. I think is the only place you can like rent it without owning it right now for four bucks. And I'm glad that I did it, but like woof, I just. It was such an interesting experience, though, because it's like those are the kind of feelings and the kind of synapses that I want to fire when I'm watching a, a horror movie, and it is nice to have something that's like been so hyped up and so either lambasted or praised throughout like the entire time that I've been a horror fan and even before still kind of exist in its time and place and have its meaning for Pascal Laguerre, who wrote it out of, you know, a sense of nihilism and depression that he was struggling with and to watch it 12 years after release and still have it connect with like what we're going through now. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it just goes to show that like a good film, you can derive meaning from it at like any time and any place. And again, don't know if I ever want to watch it again, but I watched it and I'm glad that I did.
1: Well, that's part of why we keep making like exploitative or gruesome art because like, yeah, when it fails, it feels like you feel gross and wonder why someone would do this. But like when it works, it is not keep using transcendent, but it is like an an experience unlike any other when movies or like art that like brutal or gruesome actually works.
0: Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, with that, Tyler, uh, what else have you watched recently?
1: So my second movie is another small indie 2020 movie release. Uh, This one, technically, if you go on to your IMDb's, your letterboxes, it will say 2019 because it premiered at a a festival and such last year. But it was uh, added to Amazon Prime, I think in March earlier this year. It's called Blow the Man Down. And this movie is the plot summary is essentially – Two sisters grieving their recently deceased mother find themselves in the unsavory position of having a crime to cover up as will happen in these situations. Events start to snowball and they, the two find themselves under uncovering a seedy underbelly. The movie is written and directed by a team, Danielle Crudy and Bridget Savage Cole. And the cast, the two leads playing sisters, Priscilla and Mary Beth are Sophie, uh, Sophie love and, morgan sailor but then the cast is also full of some great character actors including the character actress uh, margo martindale as well as june squibb and gail rankin of glow i really enjoyed this movie it's kind of like a, a a modern fishing village noir uh it has been compared a lot to fargo pretty naturally it is this small not flyover state but uh like This small rural town or village where uh, crime, crime often violent that you would not expect to find in such a place rears its head and our, our cast of characters tries to do their best accordingly. It's pretty good. I, I really enjoyed watching it. It's another pretty short movie, 91 minutes. Uh, It's got the, I really enjoy the characters um, besides the great, actresses that are in it really enjoyed the people and i'll dive into that a bit more it's got a great setting that main fishing village you really feel that from the uh the greek chorus of fishermen that pop in throughout to sing sea shanties they, i mean the girls are running a fit or well one of the girls priscilla is running a fish shop you see a couple of fish beheaded and gutted and such frying them up for breakfast
0: stephen king uh, would love this I mean, Truly,
1: <laughs> <laughs> no supernatural elements though yeah but uh, it, it's, it's just uh, a really solid movie. So like a lot of those elements I really enjoy. I think it looks really good. It's shot by Todd Ben Hazel who did Heathers and another great indie, recent indie in Braid um, and is going to be doing Thor 4, Love and Thunder. And the music, oh man! I thought early on in the movie, it, it, this movie reminds me of *Crescia*. It's a very different setting, but something about it is just reminding me of the great movie *Crescia*. And then I look up this movie and the composers. Uh, one of them is Brian McComber of the Dirty, once of the Dirty Projectors, who did the soundtracks for *Crescia*. It comes at night. The Hail Satan. It's just fun when it checks out, and I really like this great use of music, whether it be the score, the songs chosen, the sea chant that are sung throughout that really cement the setting. And so a lot of these elements, I think, like a lot of the craft stuff and anything involving the cast is really good. I don't know that... I don't, I don't. The ending doesn't quite. But I say not so much the ending, because it has a really fun final shot, and that really cements what the movie is getting at. I think it loses a bit of steam in the latter half when it comes to like you know wrapping up the actual sort of mystery. But all that stuff makes it a really enjoyable watch uh, and just to sit with. I think the sisters have a really good chemistry. Priscilla is the type a straight lace she's happy to stay in this town and continue running the shop the other seems to be more upbeat more the younger sister she's the baby she's a li- like less responsible she wants to get out of this country what do they call it this like basically this shithole of a town they call mm-hmm. it something like that at a certain point she wants to go on to college she put it off for a year already and so like you know do you have the natural tension you'd expect there the fact that they're covering up this crime and uh trying to not get on the wrong side of the cd underbelly but i think uh, what's I haven't even said what's most striking about the movie, which is that barely any men in it. All the characters of note are women. Um, the CD underbelly is run by women. The male characters are either clueless or powerless for the most part, and mostly cops. And uh, it's just about these different kinds of women. And the movie uh, gets into not only these sisters and their relationship, but what gen like uh, gets into like what generations before you uh, especially like your parents what they had to do to get by or to build this life that you are now enjoying and actually taking stock of what you have now is built upon the gen the many generations that came before you and it gets into that and you you and I really enjoy how it reveals that the small town is basically run by this this small group of old women. You totally underestimate as just like oh the nice grannies next door, and uh, turns out they run this town. And that's oh, man, and that's really hammered home with the ending that they're in much more control than not only anyone else, but you, the viewer, think up to that point. And it's it's a good sit, you know. Uh, I I really um as much like i don't want to be too like too negative with like it not totally crusting in the way dramatically that uh, i might have expected or enjoyed because it's just really it's it's really solid and i look forward to seeing what these folks do next um i just really enjoyed it
0: that sounds awesome and yeah, like, up and my alley. <laughs>
1: yeah, and it, it's streaming free on Amazon Prime. So if you want, just like a little uh, salty sea sea salt noir uh, that deals with mostly women. What is my summary here? That was that was terrible. Uh,
0: women yeah, <laughs> love women.
1: Noir and women, essentially.
0: New England. <laughs> New, it
1: is very New England, like super. It, it is just super Maine. Yeah, it is. It's just. A, it's a good time. I really enjoyed it. So that's the theme of my recently watched is these great little indie fi- finds and I don't want to beat up on uh, our editor Landon, who'll be listening to this, but especially with like you know all big theatrical movies getting postponed um it can feel like we're not like we're not getting as many movies as we could as we were going to, and so it's there are just fewer movies to choose from fewer movies to enjoy, and it's harder to find like what good new movies there are and so that's why I kind of want to highlight these two because. There are some pretty cool uh, new movies out there. They might be small and uh, low budget and streaming, but you're pretty nifty. So well, Kayla, what is? Uh, I, I assume yours will uh, thematically follow nicely uh, after mine. So uh,
0: what, is, actually, what
1: is your second pick?
0: It actually kind of does. We both had like a more serious one and one that's like more of a romp. And mm-hmm. I would say that this falls under that category. So... Tyler and I kind of in tandem, like we didn't like log on to Zoom or anything. We didn't like hit play at the same time, but we kind of watched the movie uh, Sinister together via texting while watching it. Sinister is a 2012 or 2013, 2012 uh, horror movie starring Ethan Hawke. It is kind of the apex of that like mid to late 2000s of We Could Afford one guy, <laughs> uh, horror genre that we were that we were having there for a little bit, and it's pretty fun. You know, it's not a perfect movie. I, that that would be that's it's definitely not a perfect movie, but it is about Ethan Hawke's character, who is a one-hit wonder true crime author who has moved his family for what seems to be. The millionth time into a literal crime scene home to write his next book because he is hoping to prove that he is not just a one-hit wonder and that he can find and solve some case and honestly that is enough of a hook to kind of make the rest of the movie work because a lot of the frustration with haunted house movies in my opinion often stems from a lot of like oh my god just like don't Do that. You know, like there's no like rational reason why just like a normal person would put up with it. But when you have this guy who is like so clearly clinging to his past and trying to, you know, get what he wants, which is to be famous again and to have another like hit on his hands and to provide for his family which is like implied to kind of be like the lesser of those two things that he wants which is kind of sad but anyway so he moves into this house he finds this box of Super 8 home videos in his attic and it turns out that all of these are snuff films featuring killings by the person who did the murder that occurred at the house that his family is now living in so there are a lot of great little creepy touches like the older son having night terrors and the younger daughter being into Like painting on her walls, which is a quintessential creepy kids thing. The Super Eight films themselves are probably the best part of the movie. Just a lot of really interesting, like gruesome editing, and kind of like not to be like the herder technology person, but like there's just something really visceral about like a film print thing. You know, depicting these grisly images, whether it's like a drowning or a car blowing up or a lawnmower running over a family, which was really bad and I didn't like it at all. Like, honestly, that probably upset me like more than a lot of what was in Martyrs, which probably says something about like me as a person, but I don't know. Definitely has a lot of that like mid to late 2000s horror movie sins going on as well though like a lot of really active camera a lot of like really dark cinematography in like ways that don't really make sense like it was really hard to see like a lot of what was happening in this movie especially at night where it's like okay bro just like turn on the light like you walked past the switch eight times with your baseball bat looking for whatever creepy noise you just heard like just turn on the light it's right there a lot of like scares that are happening only for the sake of the viewer like the main character never sees or understands that any of that is happening like you just see it and it's like supposed to creep you out that like a kid's face is right up in your face all of a sudden and then my number one like cardinal sin and again like this sounds really negative but like ethan Hawke's performance and like the overall atmosphere of the movie provided by the super eight is enough to kind of redeem all of these things but it has that number one sin of all of the music cuts out and then there is a jump scare Did I still jump? Yes, but it was cheap and I didn't like it and it wasn't fair. But overall, like, this is, like, what I would say is a good, like, when you have your friends over horror movie, which I just realized we can't do. So in the future, for your Halloween parties or your whatever, this is definitely one of those ones where I'm, like, it's just scary enough that everybody can be, like, engaged in it. It's just silly enough that, like, you could be having a glass of wine and eating snacks with your friends and, like, kind of ribbing on it but still enjoying it. Also, weirdly, I could see this being a movie. Like, when I was younger, my mom and my aunt and my cousins would all go to my grandma's house and we'd all pick, like... Scary movie, and like so, uh, popular scary movies that we watched that are obviously terrible, but that we kind of enjoyed at the time and had a good time with were like Signs or One Missed Call or The Eye, (laughs) like stuff like that. Like, this kind of I think would be a more elevated version of that. Like, if you wanted to watch a spooky movie with your family, if your family is into that, so I had a good time watching it. I enjoyed texting with Tyler about it. I think it's just one of those like fun little, not quite perfect, but good enough for rainy day movies.
1: Also, if your family is, like, annoying you, it I mean, it also serves the dual purpose of kind of being a threat.
0: Like, yeah, uh, you see this lawnmower? That can be weaponized. You see this pool? Weapon. Car? Weapon. Tree? Super weapon.
1: I just just (laughs) need you to know, like, when you told me I couldn't get a new Nintendo Switch for my birthday, i that really made me feel bummed out. And you know what happens? You know, things can go terribly wrong in families, you know, and I just, just...
0: Sometimes Unrelated. when you don't get your Switch, you have to commune with Bagul and go to his world. Like, I don't know. I bet, <laughs> so, yeah. I
1: bet those, all those kids got the new Switches.
0: <laughs> they're like grody, like messed up, like ghost Switches. Like, it's not mm. like a regular Switch. It just has like some grime on it. And It's like there's a crack in the screen, but it's a Switch.
1: And and, then, and this movie is streaming on Netflix, too. So, like, this is the most easily available of those that we've discussed. Although they're all pretty easily available. Mm-hmm
0: yeah that's a that's a good first for us i feel like there's always like one where we're like ah we watched this but like good luck finding it Found a shady
1: (laughs) google drive link uh deep in uh old twitter replies
0: (laughs) that's why i think we both watched possession but i don't think we talked about possession on the podcast at all because we were like nobody can watch this without like illegally downloading it which is not what we did. It was shared with me by a Dropbox, by a friend. So that's only slightly less illegal. Maybe someday. I don't we'll know about,
1: about you. It. I flew to England and purchased a copy of it from the uh, distributor. I can't remember who it was. maybe it was Arrow or something and, and watched it there. So
0: What's funny about that is that I Criminal. did fly to England last summer. And that is like a possibility of something that I could have done maybe, but I didn't think about it while I was there. It was a real missed opportunity on my part.
1: Were you doing like, what else is there to do in England?
0: There Nothing. Although, so fun new thing that happens now though, every time I see any in a TV show where it was clearly filmed in Oxford, I can go, I was there. Uh, We caught up we're almost through the second season of killing Eve. And there was an entire sequence of scenes that was took place in Oxford. And I was like, literally walked on that street next to that thing. This is what being really cool feels like.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, it's nice that you finally got to feel that way. If only for a single scene.
0: One moment. Uh, It happened a lot in his dark materials too, which was awesome. Anyway. uh, So I think that concludes our recently watched episode. Um, well, Kayla, I thought there was a, th- like, much
1: like our Animal Crossing segment in our April and recently watched episode, I heard there was like a third non movie oh segment that you wanted to dive into.
0: Yes. Oh my God. I completely forgot. <laughs> oh, man. All right, guys. So on May 8th, the most amazing thing ever happened. Haley Williams' debut solo album, Pedals for Armor, was available in full for the world to hear. To me, this is obviously a big deal as Paramore has been my favorite band since I was 14 years old. I have gone on a cruise for Paramore. I have met many of my closest friends because of liking paramore which is really cool i think we talked about this a little bit on an earlier episode because the rollout of the album was really interesting it was released in three eps um meant to signify like the journey that Haley went on with her mental health and with like writing these songs to kind of excise her demons and work through her trauma and kind of like come into her own at the end so part one was released late early sometime in february or early march <laughs> the four times Yeah, it's hard. The timeline is all wonky now, um, which featured a lot of like really dark atmospheric songs. Part two was a little bit slower, but a little bit more positive coming into its own. And then part three is just this kind of like real funky, awesome, bright, like I understand myself and I have fallen in love and yada yada. And it is just... Great. So the first part was accompanied by these really great music videos by Warren Foo, who worked with Paramore on their Rose Colored Boy video, who's directed music videos for the 1975, just like a really interesting music video artist, um, definitely more interesting than like, I don't know, say like the Joseph Kahn's of the world. (laughs) Like I just really like like the vibe that he is going for and like the artistic integrity that he brings to every video and every artist that he works with. And part two was kind of more defined by lyric videos that were compiled of like footage of Haley either in the studio or on photo shoots. And part three kind of has been like a lot of behind the scenes stuff and a lot of Instagram usage, which is really fun for me just because I like that kind of stuff. And it's a really cool tool that we have to kind of engage with our favorite artists now, even if it's not always the most positive environment. I do think it is really cool that we get to have access to that. So my review overall of the album, obviously, is that I love it. There's really only like one one song that I don't super vibe with, and even then I wouldn't cut it. It just I think that releasing it in three parts – was a really interesting rollout. And I think that it kind of, it really does help solidify that these are like three chapters of a book. And I think that like, it makes it really easy to decide like what kind of mood you're in and like which section of the album that you want to listen to. And it just has a lot of really interesting things. Like it to me is very much like in some ways what I would expect from her as an artist, but in a lot of ways, very surprising. Like it definitely to me would not have made sense to release this as a Paramore album. Like it is very much solely like, even though she worked with a lot of collaborators, like it is very much about Haley and her journey and all of these things. And like about learning to kind of, you know, take ownership of yourself and your art and you know put that out into the world for people. Tyler I know that you also listened to this album so I could ramble on for 400 years so I'm really curious what your reaction was as somebody who like obviously because we're friends is tangentially always in the loop about what's happening with Paramore but maybe aren't like the hugest fan of them in yourself so I'm really curious to hear like how you felt about this album.
1: I mean I'm gonna have much less to say obviously but (laughs) I, I, I also agree that it is good and uh, (laughs) full of great songs throughout and uh i like even not being a like you know someone who's up to date on the latest in Haley williams life as much as like fans would be um you you can feel uh how much of herself was put into it and there are lines throughout that um really leap out as being just like very personal and in different ways very cutting i'm just very specifically in one song talking about like i should like i I didn't i don't have it ready but talk like something about it being like when i was the other woman first you probably mm-hmm. know the like like that one yeah. always like every time i've listened like really leaps out at me is like you know it, like exactly what it means but it's also girl give yourself a break like now you're uh it's oh, there, it's <laughs> clearly just like a very emotional and personal journey going on through it and i think it has been translated into not just like a very personal album or whatever but like it, she's used it to create like just like really great songs on their own too and just stuff that really sticks with you whether it be like the really angry songs like simmer right off the bat or the ones that like later on when she's more come to terms with things it's good it's good
0: yeah i would say that like my standout well I'm, I'm curious did you like was there a particular of the three parts was there a part that you liked best or was it because i know you listened to it all at once yeah
1: Man, I I think they're just. I haven't really separated the three parts, but even just every I've you mostly listened to it all the way through, and there are just songs throughout the album. I think like the main way I wasn't surprised when you told me it was released in three parts was that they're kind of like they're bangers throughout, you know. (laughs) Like, but uh, uh, they're just like it's not it's not like front-loaded in the way like you might typically be used to um it doesn't necessarily feel like there are a sides and b sides there are songs that really stick with me uh, throughout the entire album i guess like i don't know that i paid close enough attention to to the lyrics to follow like the exact like trajectory throughout but i mean you get to sugar on the rim and like wash me while i bloom at the end i don't know if i answered your question but
0: That's fine. (laughs) That's what it is. You like it all the way through, which I also will accept as an answer. I think that, like, standout tracks for me, I think on part one, there's Leave It Alone, which is this really moody, atmospheric, slow song that has these really haunting strings. Like, I, think it's, like, not getting enough credit as a real standout track of the album because it's not a bop. Like, I think sometimes as listeners, because we're so into this, like, single-driven world, we're kind of always looking for, like, a bop. But it doesn't, doesn't have to be a bop to be a good song. So I just want to toot my horn on that one. Um And then I think that, like, the last song on the album, Crystal Clear, is just, like, the most gorgeous rendition of, like, what it sounds like to fall in love. I in my wildest dreams, like my whole life, all that I've wanted is like a a Paramore song about being in love that like I felt fit my, like at my wedding, you know, which is like coming up and something that I'm thinking about a lot. And obviously since for most of her adult life, Haley was in an admittedly unhealthy relationship that she should have left much sooner than she did. All of Paramore's love songs are kind of dark and very twisted. Like even the only exception is like you're going to leave me, but maybe I will remember it fondly. Or like, all I wanted is very, like, I'm not sure if this is going to work. And even like the happier ones, like Still Into You is very much like, you know, we still have our worst nights. And like, I don't know, there's just always like this dark twist in a Paramore song. And it feels like, and I have my theories about who these songs are about, but you know. Out of respect for Haley's privacy, I will not put them to the record here in audio format publicly. It seems like she's found like a really healthy relationship. And that's also kind of something that I can relate to having dated my fair share of, you know, not the correct people. And like having been engaged and feeling like I should not marry the person that I was engaged to, it's really nice to kind of come into yourself and I don't know, know that you're getting it right this time. <laughs> so I don't know if it's he's doing something stupid in the background. uh so yeah that was my really poignant talk on that with ben doing some shit in the background on video that you guys can't see Um, that's the guy
1: that's that's the one you picked that's
0: the guy (laughs) yeah um anyway so i don't really have anything else to say i could talk about this like fucking ad nauseum but i will not i will spare you guys tyler thank you so much for joining me on this episode again thank you to landon de fever for your hard and much appreciated work editing. That has really, I think, taken a lot of pressure off of us as hosts. And I just want you to know that we really, really appreciate it. We love you. Um, If you are interested in talking to us about a movie that you recently watched, if you're interested in doing a Criterion double feature with us, we are still always excited to welcome guests onto the show, whether it be for one or the other, just let us know. You can reach out to us via email at ltrfipod or on Twitter, which is also at ltrfipod. We're trying to use our Instagram a little bit more and you're never going to guess what the username is. It's ltrfipod. (laughs) And finally, if you appreciate what we do and you want to help us pay for our Zoom account and our various streaming services you can toss us a dollar or maybe more for some cool rewards over at patreon.com slash ltrfipod that is our recently watched episode and tune in towards the end of the month for our criterion episode and as always
1: what are we what are we double featuring on that episode
0: I remember one of them and not the other one. So Tyler, if you want to take that away and tell the listeners what our double feature is, please go ahead.
1: Uh, We'll be discussing In the Mood for Love and Black Narcissus.
0: I literally came up with this double feature. I remembered Black Narcissus, but not In the Mood for Love. So we can leave all of this in, by the way. This is just fun behind the scenes stuff. It makes me seem
1: like the responsible
0: one. (laughs) Me forgetting what episode we're doing. So we'll see you guys soon. And as always, I guess we really do love to talk about horror movies all the time.
1: And Survivor.
0: And Survivor.